0: Father, we are grateful that you are our God, that you are the one enthroned above, the one who uh, has his active and mighty hand over all creation, that, that there is nothing that happens outside of your command, outside of your control, outside of your very decree. Father, help us to live in light of such sovereign power. Help us to recognize that Uh, that you are going to make all things right. You're going to make all things new. You've promised as much that that when we uh, experience our last breath on this earth, that ushers us into our first breath in heaven. And that at a future time, you're going to remake this entire planet so uh, so that we can live with Jesus in that new Jerusalem. Father, your your word gives us great and mighty promises of what the future holds. Help us to endure in the here and now. Help us to remain faithful to you in our lifetime now. Help us to pursue the knowledge of Jesus Christ with every fiber of our being. Help us to know you more. We ask, Father, that as we open your word together today as your church family, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us of sin, that you would help us to recognize the, the, the beauty of pursuing you. Help us to set aside the things of this earth that just don't matter and help us to pursue godliness. Help us to press forward in growing as a follower of Jesus Christ so that we can help others grow as followers of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to worship you well. Help us to live for you uh, day in and day out. Not just put on a, a good show as we show up at church but that we would live for you all day every day. So father i ask that you would be pleased to bless us this morning that you would grow us through the the proclamation of your word so i ask father that you would guide my thoughts guide my words. I pray that you would open our hearts to uh, to be receptive to the Spirit's movement in our lives. And that we would not just grow in knowledge, but that we would grow in action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. By the way, Anderson family, thank you for that song. It started out, I long to breathe the breath of heaven That's exactly Paul's passion in these verses, that he would lo- that he, he's longing for being with Jesus to varying degrees we are too. It seems that the more we go through, it's not just the longer we live. It's the more we go through in this life, the pains, the sorrows, the sufferings feeds that desire. Paul suffered. He suffered much. He suffered well. And he had a desire to know the Lord more. We are continuing our series, The Mind of Christ. Following the great kenosis passage, the emptying of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, Paul sets forward Timothy, as an example and Epaphras as examples of what it's like to have the mind of Christ and then now in chapter 3 Paul is testifying how God has transformed him from a man who had great confidence in his own religious status and heritage into uh, a man who wanted Christ alone who found his confidence in Jesus alone. So Paul's objective in sharing his own testimony is not that we would praise him. No, it's, it's never that. Uh, his objective is that we would be like him in, uh, in his way of thinking, that we would imitate his thought process and thus have the mind of Christ. So last week we looked at uh, the previous couple verses Uh, where we saw the passion with which Paul continues to pursue Jesus. He had soberly analyzed his his own position, recognizing that he had not obtained the gold. He wasn't there yet. He was not yet perfect. He had not made it to heaven. So he was straining forward, pressing on for the prize. In today's passage, we're going to see Paul lay out for us three commands. Commands to humility to teachability and that of visibility. So that's where we're heading. Would you read along with me? Philippians chapter three, verses 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let's pray. Father, very short passage of scripture, and yet for us to live out these principles, we can devote all of our time for the rest of our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would guide our thoughts, guide our hearts, help us to respond well to the movement of your spirit in us today. In Jesus' name I pray. We first see a command of humility. And before we get to that, let's look at our main point, our big idea. God wants us to purposefully pursue spiritual growth, He wants us to put willpower into spiritual growth. Are we going to just grow spiritually by doing nothing? No, we're not. Just as physically, we will not grow if we don't have adequate nutrition, adequate hydration, adequate sleep. We're not going to grow healthy physically. The same is true spiritually. If we don't uh, put some activity into growing spiritually, we will not grow. God wants us to purposefully pursue spiritual growth. And the first command is that of a command of humility. Think this way way. In other words, think the way that I have been thinking is what Paul says. Let those of us who are mature think this way. This is actually the easy part of, of this phrase. It's the, the, who are the mature ones? That's a, a little more tricky part. But whoever these mature ones are, they should all have a humble state of mind like Paul has. Back up to verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained this Or I'm already perfect. Or verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And then following, he says, forgetting what lies behind, straining, pressing on for the prize of being with Jesus. Have this mindset yourself. Have this attitude yourself. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul is making it clear that his testimony of how God has matured him is being set forth as a command for us that we should be godly people following his example. We should never be satisfied with our spiritual growth or progress. We shouldn't. We should never be satisfied. Uh, I, I want to be extra careful here. If we, if we were to take this verse to an extreme degree of negativity, uh, a degree that I don't believe the Holy Spirit intends for us, we could, uh, we could then become so negative as to disparage the work that God has legitimately done in us. If you're a child of God, God is working in you. I don't want you to, to look at what God has done and, and call it garbage. God did it. Philippians 2.13, we keep going back to this verse, but it's good. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Your growth happens because of your God and your effort. And we got that back in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, fascinating verses. Remember, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you. God is at work in you, so you discipline yourself to put off sin and live in a godly manner. While it's God working in you to do those things, it's together. So God's command to us through the words of Paul in chapter 3 is that we should consider ourselves to not have obtained the goal. We're not there yet. But that nor, nor should we reject or despise any progress that we might be seeing. Language is a funny thing. It's a fickle thing sometimes. And it came through clearly in these verses as I did my studying this week. There are times this happens not just in the Greek language. We, we have this happen. Uh, for instance, I could say the exact same thing and mean different things. If I were to say, that guy is on fire... I could mean, what? He's really excited about something. Or I could mean someone get the extinguisher, that man needs help. Right? Same exact words. Very different meanings. Okay. The word that Paul uses here in verse, is it 15, where he says, let those of us who are mature, that is the exact same word translated as perfect in verse 12. Now, some of you know that because in the English translation in which you were reading, it said perfect both times. The problem is that the Greek word can mean absolutely flawless, as in perfect. It could mean complete, as in you've accomplished something. Uh, It can mean uh, mature, as is translated in the ESV and in many other translations. And it can also mean initiated. Initiated, as in started something. So, started or complete or on your way or finished or perfect. Yikes. So, what does that mean for verse 15 where he says, let those of us who are, are mature, that, that word that has a broad range of meaning, Well, first of all, it's helpful that almost all of our English translations do use different words in verse 12 versus verse 15. Verse 12 says, "Um, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. That's the word. It's helpful that most of our English translations give us a different word in verse 15, saying let those of us who are mature think this way. Without getting too technical or complex or why would... uh, why would he use the same word to mean different things? Well, I mean, we do it all the time in our language as well. Uh, basically, Paul is saying that all who are true believers in Jesus Christ, for, uh, th- their believers in Jesus Christ for their salvation, must never believe that they have reached perfection on this side of heaven. We can never feel like we've attained. And that's what I meant earlier when saying we should never be satisfied with our spiritual growth. Remember, God wants us to purposefully pursue spiritual growth by being humble. Recognizing that we have and will continue to have a need to grow. That's what we're getting from the first part of verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, this way that Paul has, it. he's constantly pursuing Christ, that he's constantly seeking to grow. What's the opposite of being humble? Well, that would be... Being proud, right? When we put zero effort or passion into our spiritual growth, at best, we're being lazy. That's best. That's not a good statement, by the way. If we're putting zero effort into our spiritual growth, at best, we're being lazy. At worst, we're being proud. Because look, (laughs) I'm already where I need to be. I don't need to work on this anymore. quite possible that we are putting zero effort into being godly because we have this sense of arrogance that we have a pride in thinking that we're more godly than we really are. Well, how do we know? How can we analyze ourselves to determine if we are living a godly life or not? Well, the Bible tells us how we can know. James chapter 1 verses 23 through 25. James 1, beginning in verse 23, reads like this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but being a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James uses the illustration of a mirror, going up to a mirror and and looking at your face and then uh, turning away and then not worrying about what you look like anymore. And some of you are thinking, that's exactly what you did, isn't it? No. He's using it as an illustration because that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. It is to be that mirror, to show us the progress that we have or have not How can I know if I am where I ought to be spiritually? It's by letting the word of God reveal to me my spiritual state. And in doing so, if, if we were to all do that, to let the word of God reflect on us so that we could see who we really are in God's sight, it would humble us. It would motivate us to grow spiritually. So the first part of verse 15, we have a command of humility Secondly, a command of teachability. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul wants those who are genuinely of the faith, they are believers, they have grown in Christ at least some, uh, that, that have some spiritual maturity, should adopt the same passion and zeal and effort that Paul has had in his own pursuit of Christ. Have you ever flown in a plane? Have you maybe tried to recently and didn't get to? (laughs) The physics of flight is absolutely fascinating. The shape of the wing being curved in the front and then more slender in the back. The the shape of the wing, just having air go over it, causes lift. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. We can take a million-pound airplane, and it flies through the air. It's insane. What happens if you take the air off that wing? Oh, it stops flying real quick, doesn't it? Right, it's going to drop like a rock. Slow down just a little bit too much and have not quite enough air going over that airfoil, and the plane is done for. But, if the engines continue to maintain the airspeed that that airplane requires, it's never going to have problems maintaining altitude, assuming everything else is working. The same is true of our Christian life. If we stop, we fall. The Christian life requires constant motion. We need to have this continual contact with the word of God to give us that lift, if you will. As we do that, as we intake the word of God through reading and studying, as godly men and women invest godly doctrine into us, as the spirit of God continues to work in us, we must be teachable. That's what he's saying in this verse. If you do think otherwise, uh, God will reveal it to you also. That's why that uh, the understanding of, of that word mature at the beginning of the verse is pretty important, actually. Because he's, he's not saying those who believe they are already perfect, because those who believe are, they are already perfect are not going to listen to God. They're not going to change. If in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that to you also. Paul is Paul's being very um, trusting of the way God works. I mean, who tries to convince someone of something, making their case, making their argument, and says, Well, if you don't agree with me, don't worry, you will. I mean, that's not very convincing, is it? But, but Paul knows that his his convincing us to be passionate about our spiritual growth is not based on his argumentation. It's based on the the truth of the word of God and the reality of how God works in us. And so those who really do have the spirit living in them, if they will listen to these words, be like me in pursuing God. If you you will listen to Paul in his plea, and you're not quite sure, like, ah, I'm fine, I don't, I don't really need to put in that much effort. Paul's saying that the Spirit will convince you otherwise. I'm afraid some of us do think that we're okay with God where we are. We've made progress, but we've, we've kind of halted. I'm afraid some are self-convinced that their actions and thought life are just fine. And we've decided that there's there's no more change that we need to make. And we might not say it in those words, but it's how we act, isn't it? God wants us to purposefully pursue spiritual growth by being humble, by being teachable. Let the Lord change your heart. Well, how can you do that? Well, you need to hear from the Lord. You need to to discipline yourself to hear from God regularly, to be in the word of God. Being the start of a new year is a great time to start up that habit again. Now, some of you uh, have been reading the word of God most days for years. Praise the Lord. Keep it up. Others perhaps have started And then fall off. Pick it up again. Don't worry about the past. Pursue Jesus now. Be in the Word. Be committed to not just sitting under teaching and preaching, but to engage with the teaching and preaching. Take notes. And and by taking notes, I don't say try to write down my outline, my outline does not matter. Write what God's doing in your heart. And if a key phrase that I say spurs something, fine, write that. But write down what God is working on in you. (laughs) Write it in a journal or in your Bible itself. Yes, I'm telling you, it's okay to mark up your Bible. I use Bible software, and I mark in it all the time. The benefit of it is I never run out of space. The downside of it is I never run out of space. (laughs) I can keep writing and writing and writing. However, you do it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're able to go back over what God is saying to you throughout the week and actually put action to it. Put action to your written intent. Be teachable. Hear God's voice through His Word, through the preaching and teaching, and then act on it, which is what we get to in verse 16. We have a command of humility, a command of teachability and a command of visibility, although I think I changed that word. Is that what I said earlier? Did I say visibility? I did, okay. I'm just gonna stop second-guessing and keep going. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Here's what I mean by visibility. We can say, I believe, and fill in the blank, all day long. But if it isn't visible in our actions, do we really believe it? We must persist. We must continue. We must remain. We must endure. Do not let your growth to this point in Jesus Christ become a peak. Because what comes after a peak? Only downhill, right? Keep pressing on. Keep pursuing the knowledge of Christ. Hang on tightly. That's what Paul is saying here. Let us hold true to what we have attained. But he, he means more than just holding to the truth. It is important that the truth we have learned not only remains, but that it shows itself. That it proves itself to be true in us by the way that we live. Paul is literally saying, live out the knowledge that you have. Knowledge for knowledge's sake is never the purpose when we interact with God's word. We are to live the principles he has given us. We should be able to see how God has impacted our life over time. And others should see it as well. God wants us to purposefully pursue spiritual growth by living God's truth. This is where the struggle is, isn't it? it, it it's the, the putting into action what we know to be true. That's where our struggle is. It's not new to Christianity. Uh, back to the book of James, James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He writes, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. But you don't give them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This is not an unfamiliar passage. You know where this goes. He continues So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We know, using James's illustration, we know the principles of generosity that we should help those who are in need, especially those who are a brother or sister in Christ. But how helpful is our goodwill toward them if it doesn't produce real help? Oh, be warmed and filled. James uses the illustration as a point. Knowing the things God wants us to do is never enough, we must live it. Or, as Paul puts it in Philippians 3:16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Is God's word true? Live it. If you really believe it, you will demonstrate it. If you really, for instance, if you really believe that God answers prayer, won't you pray? And you won't give up. If you really believe in the power of God's word, won't you read it? Won't you study it? Paul's belief regarding his promised reward is what drove his life. We get that from the previous verses as he he looks forward to being with Jesus face to face. If we really believe God's promise of an eternity with our Savior, would we not have our priorities altered in this life? God wants us to purposefully pursue spiritual growth. He wants us to be humble He wants us to be teachable, and he wants our faith, our belief, to be visible. Some of you are here in your first year of being a believer. Others have been a believer for decades. I didn't go around asking some of our older people how long they've been saved, but I know we have some that are 50, 60 years, maybe more. That's amazing. But whether it's year one or year 100, the decision point today is the same. Whether you're a new believer or you've been a believer for as long as you can recall, the decision point today is the same. Will you commit to growing in Christ this week, and this month, and this year? Will you set aside our natural tendencies toward comfort, and our status, our current status, and instead pursue Christ as the needy, beggarly people we are. That's another thing the, the, the mirror of the word reflects to us is just how needy we are. Will you allow God's word to change your thoughts and, and subsequently change your actions by being teachable? Will you conform your actions to what you believe? I am aware that what I've just challenged us to is a very tall order. I'm aware. So rather than sitting down and taking inventory of every little thing in life that we need to fix, find one thing and start there, right? Isn't that how real life change is made? By finding one thing, making one change. Be specific, and maybe it's, since we're early on in the year, we're talking about Bible reading, maybe it's, it's related to Bible reading, and your challenge to yourself is going to be, I'm going to spend five minutes more every day in the Word than what I normally have been spending, and that's going to be my growth. Be specific. Be realistic. Deciding that you're going to read the whole Bible this week is probably not realistic. I mean, technically, if you read fast enough, you could do it, but it's not realistic and ultimately not helpful, right? Be realistic. And then one more thing. Commit that decision to someone else. Tell someone what you're decide that one thing that you've decided to work on. Decisions made in your own mind are a good start, and you might be faithful to follow through. But go a step further, write it down. Uh, use a calendar to remind yourself or, or whatever uh, kind of, uh, of, of system works for you. Maybe a journal. Maybe it's just a post-it note on the bathroom mirror. Commit your decision by writing it down, but also commit it to someone else. Tell a friend. Tell your spouse. Tell someone else in the church who can hold you accountable. That is part of the one another's that, that we as the body of Christ are commanded to do that. We are to hold one another accountable for the reading of God's word, to grow in Christ. God wants you to pursue Christ's likeness as your highest purpose in life. Not something that we do with, oh, when I feel like it, when I'm bored, when I have leftover time. I'm not suggesting that that means that your pursuit of Jesus takes the most amount of time in a day. But it does mean that it takes the highest priority. That our growth in Jesus is the part we're not going to skip. If we're skipping something, we're skipping lunch. We're not skipping our time with Jesus. Next week, as we continue in the passage, and you can read ahead, I welcome you to read ahead, uh, we see the dangers of not passionately pursuing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Help us to keep learning from your word. Help us to keep learning from the examples of others, uh, like Paul, like Paul sets sets himself forth as as an example of a, a man full of passion and zeal for God. And rightfully so. Lord, help us to learn and imitate Help us to live out our faith. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be people that are passionate about learning the Bible better. Father, help us to love our Savior more and more. As Paul said that he uh, couldn't... He couldn't wait to be with Jesus, Lord. Help that to be the heartbeat of our lives as well. And as we pursue him in this life, our affection for Jesus will grow. It'll be even that much sweeter when we do see him face to face. Father, help us to determine ways to grow this week. Help us to be faithful to put them to action in Jesus' name.